if there was a sliding scale from that started at risky and went all the way to risk averse, where would you be on that scale? <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly depends. I think I'm closer to, you know, risky. Like I, I, I definitely uh, probably take more risk than the typical like attorney or, or law school student or whatnot. And I think that's partly to do with like my background. Like I was, I, I constantly like to take on different challenges and things like that. And it's not that I'm just being blind to the risk. It's just like looking at the, uh, the potential outcome, the potential benefit and kind of weighing it against like whatever uh, negative outcome can come out and, and really, I guess, making a decision based off of that. I think if I had to like put myself on the scale, I would say closer to risky relatable for me as well. It's like the outcome is going to be worth it. Let's just go through all the motions first. It's going to be worth it in the end. <laughs> That's how I deal with it. I don't know if I would advise <laughs> clients the same way in which I operate though. So. Welcome, welcome to episode nine of Sushi Fridays, the podcast. I am your host, Andrea Pasquale. Thank you for listening. If you listen to episode five of Sushi Fridays, you would have heard Aaron Faison's story. He's co-founder of children's athletic footwear brand, Worldy. In this episode, episode nine, our guest is Aaron's co-founder. It's also my first time talking to a co-founder in this capacity. And the reason why I wanted to bring him on was because I thought it would be a good opportunity to show another angle of how Worldly is being built. Our guests met Aaron in law school, and though they have similar education, they're also very different. You are listening to episode nine of Sushi Fridays, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you Brandon Ward, co-founder of children's athletic footwear brand, Worldy. At what point did you know that Aaron would be your co-founder? <laughs> well, when he when he asked me or approached me uh, with the idea of, at the time we were going to be like creating a soccer cleat, or we were at least going to be testing the idea of a soccer cleat for former competitive athletes. And so we were going to test it via like one of Booth's classes that they were offering. Uh, it was a building the new venture course. And so we were going in there and we were also going to be a part of this, uh, this thing through the Polsky Center at, at the University of Chicago called a customer discovery. So that's where you kind of like go out and you talk to your target audience and you see whether or not this new idea or this whatever thing that you're trying to create to solve a pain point actually resonate with that target base. And then it really kind of morphed from there because, you know, obviously we're no longer a venture that's creating soccer cleats for former competitive athletes. We're, we're building a multi-surface, multi-purpose shoe for, uh, for kids. When you made the decision to start building a footwear brand for kids, how did you and Aaron approach that? Was that like, in unison, let's both decide to do this? Or were there any challenges involved when making that pivot or change in your business? You really want to like have your idea grow. You really want to see like your baby like take off. And so I think pivoting is kind of stepping away from that that idea and moving in a different direction. And so it takes a lot of like uh, 
swallowing of pride. And then also you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. You don't want to be like, oh man, I just gave up on my dream or gave up on my idea so early uh, based upon like some, you know, conversations that I had with people who I thought were my target consumers. Uh, so I think it, it really took a lot of like time. Like I believe we were first like presented with the idea of making a kid's shoe when we were talking to one of our professors, he was a negotiations professor, a professor Wu uh, back at uh, Boo. And he, he heard the, the idea and he's like, well, why don't you build like a, a basketball shoe for kids? Like, what did you, did you hear anything that we just said? <laughs> did you hear anything about like what we were talking about? And so like, I think our first impulse when we heard, heard like the, the notion of pivoting, or at least we're presented with that particular idea was, I won't say like visceral, but it was like close to like, no, 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 this, this guy just doesn't get it. And then we started talking more and more with what we felt like our target consumer or who, who we felt like were our target consumers. And it just, it started to just kind of make sense that we needed to, we needed to make a change. And, and that really is like how it came about. When I say target consumers, I guess I, I, I mean like the parents in this instance, like those are the ones who are really like opening up their, their pocketbooks or whatnot, or, 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 or sliding their credit cards or whatever you, however, which way you, you know, you complete a purchase. But um, yeah, so the, what it looked like was us like reaching out to first people in our immediate network. So we started off with like former competitive athletes and started talking to them. And then some of former, some of the former competitive athletes were actually parents. And so by default, we started like talking a little bit about like their purchase process and some of that overlap with the purchase process for kids. And we started noticing some of these pain points that parents had when it came to like purchasing shoes for kids, um, especially like athletic shoes. And as we start seeing that pattern over and over again, it started kind of making sense to make that change. What, what does that look like when dealing with that target audience who are kids? So it, it's kind of like a, a two, a twofold approach. Thankfully, like I have like my target consumer lives in my house because I have two daughters. <laughs> We've kind of used them as like guinea pigs and testing them <laughs> in terms of like, what are their, uh, you know, what are their feedback relating to like the colorways or, or things like that. But when it comes to like talking to like parents and things, it's just a matter of just kind of like just having a conversation, sitting down and listening to them talk about their, their purchase process, talk about like the sports that their kids participate in, talk about when they, when they look to buy, like, are they uh, opportunistic buyers or do they go out and like plan to go buy a shoe? Are they doing it in, online? Are they doing it at a retail location? So just questions that we kind of ask just to get a, an, an idea as to like, what are the processes that our, our consumer goes through to, to complete a purchase, uh, a kid shoe purchase? Who would be your top competitors in the market right now? I mean, traditionally, it would be like the, maybe some of the bigger brands uh, that have uh, an athletic footwear presence like Nike, Adidas, Puma. Those are like the, the big ones when it comes to uh, an athletic shoe, uh, especially that's what's on the forefront of a lot of people's mind when they ask us about like, how are we going to beat them? Then there are some other smaller brands that are doing things in the space that are dedicated to like kids foot development and they're smaller, lesser known brands like play. There's, there's also another brand that kind of focuses on toddlers and that's like Jaybirds. But like 
there's some some brands that are like you know they built their model around like sustainability like Allbirds and so they have like a kids offering as well so there there are a few brands that are doing some things in the kids space like dedicated to like kid and kid foot development not a whole lot that are like emphasizing like uh, sports as well so that's a, a bit where we kind of like differentiate. Speaking to Aaron, I know that your prototyping process was challenging and it's a long process. How do you know or how will you know that you've completed your product and it's ready to sell? (laughs) That's a really good question. That's something that we kind of go back and forth with uh, with our product developers, with our design team, uh, even like with the marketing and branding team knowing when we we've got it like hitting that aha moment like we're ready to you know start you know mass producing this i i think it it kind of goes back to aaron and, and myself like when do we feel comfortable with like this when do we think that this is going to be something that just like is a is a head turner and really gets people excited and gets us excited we we're definitely getting a whole lot closer to that as we get new iterations of the design we're, we're we're really happy with some of the progress that we've made. So we're anticipating if we can keep this momentum going that early next year, we'll have something that we can kind of like show the world and say, okay, this is what we've been working on the past like two years and, and be proud of it. So. How beneficial it is to have your target consumer as part of your family and living with you. I think that's so amazing. As a fashion brand owner and designer, a segment of my target is also part of my family. So that's a plus plus to have for me as well. Brandon shares that Worldy is getting close to their final design, almost ready for production. And I'm so excited for him and Worldy because it's that feeling that is hard to describe of putting in all the work and finally being able to launch and sell your product after all the research and prep and iteration is done. At the beginning of this episode, we opened on a question I asked Brandon about risk. And for me, putting your product for sale into the world, even with all the legwork, I feel is still risky. But you believe in it, you take you take that risk, and that's why we're entrepreneurs. Next up, we talk about creativity, core values, life as an entrepreneur, and how Brandon stays inspired. How important is creativity to making decisions and building worldy? I think it's extremely important. Like creativity, that was probably the impetus behind us uh, pivoting. Like you've got to be able to think a couple steps ahead and you also have like this goal, but you, you want to think of imaginative, imaginative ways to kind of get there. And that, all utilizes the creative part of your brain. So like, I think it's like without it, I don't even know how a startup would, would be successful. So creativity is huge. Like Aaron and I just have like sessions where we like whiteboard things out and like what we want and from design to like business model. Like I think creativity is like what makes entrepreneurship exciting. Like that's just like oh the challenge of like coming up with this new concept this new idea or this new way of doing an old old things. I'm biased, but I love that answer. <laughs> Beating to the crowd. Okay. <laughs> As an entrepreneur, 
my values are super important to me, like what I stand for. Do you have certain non-negotiables that you not just live by, but also use to make decisions as a founder slash entrepreneur? Absolutely. So we've worked, and this is what we've kind of been spending the last, I'm going to say two months, but it's probably been longer than that, creating like our playbook, our toolkit that whenever we want to make some kind of decision, we can kind of refer back to. Uh, and so this like outlines our values, like our, our um, from just simple things like, like fonts and stuff like that's not a value, but like, that's like something that you can kind of use to make sure that you're consistent and your message is consistent. But we wanted to make sure that anything that we do is in adherence to like our core values, like our core beliefs. And so we want to make sure that those things are, are clearly defined. And anyone who, who joins us in the future can look back at and say like, okay, this is a clear belief system. I think that's extremely important and it's extremely important to get right. So that's why we've kind of been spending a whole bunch of time on simply because we think like as we make these decisions, as things are, are moving like fast and in a hurry, we want to be able to like refer back to it and, and, and make decisions that are, are true to those, to those beliefs. I think one of the, the biggest things for us is like transparency, like being able to invite people in from like transparency regarding like the journey of like of worldy, like our, our journey as, as founders, people who have no idea about the footwear industry and how we went about learning more and more about it and how we went about building our network and how we went about designing a product. Like I think getting people involved and allowing people in is like one of our big core values. Transparency is so important. And as well, I feel like consumers value when the brand that they support is transparent. A question that I love to ask entrepreneurs, how do you balance your business with personal life, friends, and family? It's tough, but I think it's kind of old hat for me because I've been doing a balancing act for so long. So spent a lot of time in the military. So bouncing around and that, you know, obviously involves a bit of balancing and, and compartmentalizing things. And then once I got to law school with, with two young, young daughters, making sure that I am uh, being present enough and also being able to, to knock out my studies and being on top of that. And then throwing in, you know, worldy, throwing in an, an, an extra program, throwing in um, being a, uh, at the time we were on campus being resident head. So we were like in charge of like undergrad dorms. So it's always been like a balance. Like, I feel like my life has always been like a balancing act. And so it, it, it I guess it's just something that you kind of learn over time and you keep practicing. There are going to be some times when you, you, you hit your head a little bit or you, you screw up and you're not around as much or, you neglect your, your studies or you don't spend as much time doing uh, something that you feel like is important. So there is always going to be give and take. But the more you practice, the more you like organize, the better you kind of get at it. So that's that's kind of been my approach with life, especially my adult life. So I, I, I don't I don't see it as too daunting, but it's something that you've got to be cognizant of and, and very intentional about. I totally resonate with that. It's like 
you give yourself to one thing and then you put the other thing on hold and then you're like juggling 50 million things at once. And you're right. You've been doing it for a while and I feel like it does take practice. How do you stay inspired? I stay inspired by like communicating with people, like constantly talking to people, whether it's talking to our team, talking to people in the industry, talking to people uh, within our network that continues to grow. But hearing others' stories with, you know, where they're at or what they've accomplished or what they're trying to accomplish or, you know, some of their aspirations, ideas, creativity, seeing their creativity, that's inspirational. I do a lot of like listening to podcasts too. So when I'm not talking to people, I'm listening to people talk to each other. It's all like cool to see people doing, you know, unique things or challenging things or thinking outside of the box or, or going in a direction that a lot of people are too scared or don't, you know, too ignorant <laughs> to, to go down. So like, I think that is what kind of like motivates me. Uh, and then there's some, some obvious things like I, I, in, in my own home, like, you know, seeing my daughters like interact and do things and like wanting to, to be that, uh, that example I'm wanting them to also like go down that creative path and be able to, to use their imagination and, to think outside of the box and to, to solve things in different ways. Like that also inspires me and motivates me to keep, you know, keep doing things differently and keep like pushing on. Branded's inspiration about hearing stories of what other people accomplish, their ideas, their creativity and aspirations struck a chord with me because Sharing those stories is a big reason why Sushi Fridays exists. Backtrack to a couple days ago, Brandon's co-founder, Aaron, asked me who my dream listeners are for Sushi Fridays. I told him, A, they're fellow creatives and entrepreneurs. B, they're people who care about curating their lives with intentional goods and experiences, for example, style, culture, etc., and see they're diverse people who care about sharing and listening to underrepresented stories. So this is the point in this podcast episode where I'm telling you straight, Worldy and Sushi Fridays are aligned because Worldy fits into all of the above categories and its co-founder, Brandon, listens to the stories that we share. Just wanted to point that out. Up next, Brandon shares how Worldy is working with advisors how they fund their brand, and their plans for Worldy looking ahead. What kind of professional help did you and your co-founder seek out while building Worldy? So as I mentioned, we were not first at all in the footwear industry. So like, we have no, no experience going into it other than obviously wearing shoes. What we wanted to do was surround ourselves with people who had that type of experience and that exposure and be able to bounce some of our perhaps naive ideas off them and get them to tell us whether or not that was feasible or how we can, you know, potentially make it feasible. And so that led us down the path of like really looking for some strong advisors. Um, and that just meant networking a whole bunch, like seeing some people, uh, maybe on LinkedIn or, you know, in our own like circles and reaching out to them and just having a conversation and getting them um, involved in the process, seeing 
how how they reacted to some of our ideas and were they really passionate about it or were they kind of like, you know, just kind of patting us on the head and saying like, yeah, you know, give it a shot, but I don't think you'll really make it. But we've definitely created some informal, a circle of informal advisors. Down the road, we, we definitely plan on bringing some in, actually having them as part of Worldy by, you know, extending equity. It's been cool because sometimes you'll you'll have a couple of conversations and you really like feel like this is this is the one. Uh, and then mm-hmm. later on, like, you know, after uh, a few more dates, you're like, you know, what, you know, this is it's cool to have them around, but probably nothing long term here. It, it's just like any I feel like any other type of relationship. You 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 go and you meet and you talk and you you learn about that person. And they learn more about you. And if things match up, then yeah, I think it works. If not, then it was it was cool meeting, but like let's you know go our, our separate ways. So like I don't know. That's been our like our process of finding you know or, or trying to find an advisor, and then that the the whole like lack of experience, lack of knowledge, is one of the real reasons why we even like went down that way of, of looking for someone like that. Can you give us an example of specifically like what kind of things they would help you with? So for instance, the supply chain regarding footwear is, uh, you know, a little bit different and getting someone who has that type of experience and and really understanding that and being able to kind of give us advice and things that we should be asking and factories that we should be like locating and all that stuff is very useful to us. So what we look for in an advisor is someone who has that type of expertise. So like, I think there's like a couple of breakdowns in, in terms of advisors. So they're expert advisors. And that's kind of like what we're really like looking for right now. There's strategic advisors and then there's like general advisors. So general advisors are kind of great. They can kind of like give you advice on like any kind of like business idea. And I, I feel like we have a bunch of those, not formally, but like informally, we have a bunch mm-hmm. of like business advisors or um, general advisors. Uh, strategic advisors, uh, we have a, a few of those, and those are the ones who kind of like help us with like certain like goals that we're hoping to accomplish uh, in, in ways in which we can go about accomplishing those goals. And then we have like these expert advisors who have been in the industry and they've been in specific like parts of the industry, and they can really be useful uh, assets when it comes to like making sure that we're na- navigating that specific part of the industry. Uh, as well as possible. And because we don't have that experience, those those type of uh, advisors are extremely important to the point where Aaron and I feel like they're deserving of equity because they need to be really a part of this. I like the part about, as well, it's a relationship. So that's part of the equation. But yes, their knowledge is super helpful to growing worldy. As a designer, who also has a background in fashion, I know how costly it is to produce. And I bootstrap myself. What does the funding process look like for Worldy? So we're bootstrapping right now for a couple of reasons. The main one being we want to kind of make Worldy the way in which we feel like it's most beneficial. And if we pull in like outside investors too early and that can kind of convolute or there could be like a, you know, could be a little bit disjointed. They're going to have their own opinions on what 
should be done and we lose a bit of our voice. Uh, and we feel like having our voice at the very beginning is pretty vital uh, because there's a, a way in which we want Worldly to be set up. So right now we're looking at a Kickstarter campaign or a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and that's, again, still hoping to keep a bit of control as we really start to uh, get Worldy uh, underway. Let's see. We've worked with a bunch of different uh, orgs, but we've also worked with a bunch of different student groups, uh, one of them being the, uh, the Wisconsin Consulting Club or WCC. And so what we've been doing is trying to map out like strategies uh, going into a Kickstarter campaign. And they've been very useful in providing like case study type of like approaches to like other campaigns who have been successful. And we've, uh, we've been like crafting our own like internal docs uh, based upon that. And then also based upon uh, conversations that we've had with uh, other companies that have used Kickstarter uh, as a, uh, as a springboard to start their companies. So I think that's been like our, our short term approach to fundraising is setting ourselves up via bootstrapping and then following that up with a, a Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign. But eventually we feel like we're going to end up having to have uh, outside investors come in, um, but we want to hold off as long as, as long as possible. Got it. Is, is Shark Tank in the cards? <laughs> Aaron, I, you know, he, I think he posted about something on, on Shark Tank or something like that on, on LinkedIn. I don't think that's in the cards for us. I mean, it's cool. Like it gets you a lot of exposure, uh, builds a lot of brand awareness, but I, I don't know. That's not a path that we've really considered. No knock on any company that's gone through Shark Tank. I've watched a bunch of their episodes. It's super cool to kind of see. I just think that we're really like kind of focused on, on the product at this point, on building the community around that product and, and really making sure that we get things right. Uh, I don't know if we're, we're even at a, you know, at a spot where we're thinking about like presenting this idea in front of sharks. What are your plans for Worldy? What can we look forward to? So the plans for Worldy short term is to create a product that though it's recognizable, it's like something that you haven't seen, especially when it comes to like kids footwear. And then from there, we can build something that's like an experience. So beyond just like a product, but an actual experience, we want to make sure that that's something that's even prevalent at, at our, at our early stages, changing the website up so that like, it's very interactive as opposed to like uh, a, a, an information dump on our part and like consumers come through and just kind of read or, or browse. So the same thing when we, when we start actually um, selling the product, we want it to be, be more of an experience. Uh, we, we believe that kids really lo love and remember those experiences. And we want our brand to be something that like coincides with those, those memories. That was that very sounds like fun. <laughs> amorphous, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's just like overarching, like what we're trying to accomplish. And so that could be like experience doors or, or things. Yeah, I get that. Um, off the top of my head, I was thinking like worldy community events or gatherings for families and kids have you thought about anything like that 
Uh, absolutely. That's uh, something that we've we've actually been brainstorming and working on. Uh, I believe Aaron's had this idea of having like a, I don't know if you're familiar with the the, the NFL and its combine that they have for its athletes that are just kind of entering the draft process, but having something like that for kids, obviously not to that level or with the type of pressures that they the athletes feel at the combine, but just something kind of fun where the kids get a chance to, to go out, run, uh, maybe interact with some obstacle courses or whatever we might have set up. And that could create like some user generated content, but it also like just builds that type of brand awareness and like what, it, you know, and some curiosity so that we can, we can get more people involved with the journey and understanding like what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, so we, we've even toyed with the idea. And I think this is what we, we really leaning towards going with is like some kind of grassroots marketing campaign where we're really, um, a part of a community and kind of grow, uh, in and out of that community. Exciting. Yeah, I I don't have kids, but I'd love to join one of your events. No, you, you definitely don't have to have kids to come out. Um, and matter of fact, we that's been like one of the challenges when we think about like a Kickstarter campaign. So if you've ever been on Kickstarter, or Indiegogo or the like, it's typically like a lot of people maybe who don't even have kids and like or uh, people within our network, uh, you know, also are a lot of like college age students or, or recent grads of law school or business school. And, and many of them uh, don't have kids. And so like, how can these, these people be involved in like a, a, a company or a venture that's focused on kids footwear. And one of the ideas that we've kind of had, and maybe it was uh, brought up by some of the, the people that we've talked to is being able to kind of like give those products to, to people that, you know, who do have kids So like being a mm-hmm. part of like, a, you know, the backers in a campaign that might not have kids can see that footwear go to a, you know, a kid that's within their own network or some kid that they, they, uh, that they know, or their cousins or nephews or whatever it might be. Uh, it's just an opportunity to kind of like give at that point. I can do that. <laughs> uh, my nieces and nephews and friends, kids will all get worldly shoes for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so it might be Christmas 2024, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, and I've missed asking this question to my guests, so this is going to be my number one rapid fire question from now on. Okay. What's your favorite sushi roll? Uh, why can't I think of it? A Philadelphia roll. Ah. Ooh, yes. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Randy Moss. What's your favorite footwear brand and why? Again, basic Nike. I liked it because that was something that I was introduced with early on, and I thought they were super cool. Matter of fact, I I don't even know if anybody knows this. Maybe my mom remembers. She like bought me some like Nike soccer cleats back when I was a little kid, and I literally would wear those Nike soccer cleats, or I don't even know if they were soccer cleats. Maybe they're just like I did. They were cleats. Uh, I wore them everywhere, like all the time, <laughs> everywhere. Cleats. <laughs> all cleats, everything. What's one thing you're most excited about right now? Christmas. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the holidays. I, I love the holidays. Like I think it's like an awesome time. That's that's probably what I'm uh, most excited about in the, in the short term. But obviously, you know, I mentioned we've had a whole conversation on worldly. Lots of excitement. Yeah. Lots of excitement with like some, some new things, some new developments. So. And lastly, what's your number one piece of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? Always, well, know your why and 
always go back to it. What a fun conversation. I hope this episode, along with episode five, please listen to it if you haven't, gives you a fuller picture into Worldly's story, how they're building, and what they have planned. I particularly resonate with Worldly's vision of creating an experience for their customers. As a fashion brand owner and designer myself, I also want to create an experience for my customers. For me, it's not just about selling the product from a website, which I get. It's absolutely about sales. After all, it is a business. But I truly care, like Worldly, about the community, about the events, about the in-person aspect, about my customers' brand sentiments, and how I can build that in real life. Worldy gives me that inspo. I want to give a hearty thanks to our guest, the one and only Brandon Ward, co-founder of Children's Athletic Footwear Brand Worldy, for having this conversation with me. I look forward to being a part of Worldy's future events and seeing how they grow. I also can't wait to see what their final shoe design looks like. If you want to get in touch with Brandon, you can find him at Brandon Ward on LinkedIn. You can also check out Worldy on the web at worldybrand.com. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to episode nine of Sushi Fridays. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Shout out Amazon Music Canada because we were recently featured in their indie podcast amplifier collection. And as well, we are on YouTube podcasts. Please, please support Sushi Fridays by giving us a rating and review on your favorite listening platform. And if you send that screenshot to me via DM on Sushi Fridays pod on Instagram, I will hook you up with a complimentary brand identity consult. If you are listening to this podcast right after it came out, please check us out on Instagram at Sushi Fridays Pod. I am planning an intimate sushi omakase dinner with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs, and I would love for you to be there. The details are on my Instagram. Other than that, thank you for listening. I will talk to you again next Sushi Friday.